Solana Ornelas, and I will be conducting this week's interviews. On the show this week, we have Sierra Segura. Sierra is a 17-year-old and will be a senior at Widefield High School in the fall. She plays competitive high school sports and has a passion for athletic training and medicine in general. She hopes that one day she will wear a doctor's coat and get to call herself a surgeon. As a Hispanic female, she is extremely grateful to have never experienced real discomfort nor endure any form of oppression due to her ethnicity and skin color. She was born into a family with successful parents who set her and her siblings up to live comfortably. Unfortunately, this cannot be said for many other POC across the nation. It is for this reason that Sierra uses her status and privilege to advocate for social justice and equality. She strongly believes that the America she lives in can change and needs to change for the better. So how are you doing today, Sierra? I am doing great. You know, it was a very nice warm day here in spring, so... You know, I'm just kind of vibing. That's awesome. Yeah, the weather has been super nice here. So let's just jump right into the questions. So as a person of color with successful parents, has anyone found it hard to believe that you or your parents are successful? So I kind of want to start with talking about myself. For um, first part, I guess you could say, for me, um, the answer would have to be no. And that's because as we kind of talked about before and like my little summary my parents had done a really good job at setting me and my siblings up for success and it was never questioned as we grew up when we were successful in the classroom or successful with athletics um, we've never had to deal with things such as poverty or um, you know discomfort in that manner which have made people question our abilities and for that, I'm very thankful every single day. I really, like, cannot stress how grateful I am for my parents for setting us up with that um, that lifestyle. But to fully answer this question, um, I had to actually talk to my parents specifically. And, you know, for my dad, he also grew up pretty comfortable in a um, pretty healthy family. But my mom specifically, she grew up without a lot of money. My grandparents didn't make a lot when um, she was growing up. And it was oftentimes her abilities in the classroom were questioned. I mean, she told me a story one time about um, when she walked across the stage at valedict as valedictorian of her class, you know, her principal really disliked her and made comments about how she didn't deserve her position. Like people like her, meaning Hispanics, low-income Hispanics, didn't deserve that kind of um, position and honor. And, you know, I think that is really, really sad. And I, I'm grateful that my mom proved those people wrong to set us up with a better life. Yeah, I'm so happy that you've never had to experience anything like that. That's horrible. So would you agree that where we live, we live in Colorado Springs. Would you agree that it's pretty diverse down here? And that's also why um, there's not, you don't experience as much as maybe your mother had? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, especially our neighborhood around Widefield and Fountain, we see all different types of ethnicities. I mean everyone the whole spectrum here in Colorado Springs and I think that is a big reason why so many people here are so accepting and there's not really a lot of people who are going to make a pre um a prejudiced decision about you 
based on your skin tone because we're constantly surrounded by people of color every single day of our lives. And, you know, I think that's another thing that I'm really grateful for is being in such a welcoming community. Yeah, I totally agree, and I'm so thankful to live here as well. Um, so how do you think that the more well-off individuals and families could advocate for change in society and not even more well-off, maybe people in our position who live in more diversified areas as well? Um, well, going off the first question, um, I think well, more well-off individuals are kind of set up uh, a little bit better than uh, others. Um, They're able to use their resources and potentially donate to organizations that can help um, spread, you know, information, educate others. And um, I think this is really important to be able to donate your own, potentially your own money and time to these places. And a lot of times when people are more well off, they're more able to do this. And on um, the other side of that, people like you and I in a, a diverse community, we can really shed light on how diversity shouldn't affect, um, like shouldn't affect the way you treat others, I guess you could say. Um, as you know, like you and I have been lucky enough to live in a very welcoming community, but I think that allows us to advocate for those who haven't been able to experience the same thing. I think it's really important to shed light on the fact that people like you and I can totally coexist with others without there being racial tension. And I think that's really important to shed light on because I think a lot of times we focus so much on racial tension, but we can, we sometimes we don't focus on the good in these diverse communities as well, like ours. And I think it's really important to expose that kind of diversity to everyone because I think the more exposure and the more educated that people are, um, the better off um, the majority of this country will be. Because I know that other communities don't really get to see this type of diversity. And I think if we advocate for how this this type of diversity has been in impactful and um, helpful to us, I think that'll help um, help a lot of people see a different side of things. And to go back to the first part of that question about how more well-off individuals should advocate um, or could advocate, I think it's very important for those who have the funds and means to do so to be able to donate to organizations or even just donate their time um, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes not everyone who doesn't have the money or the time to do so because they're spread thin working X, X amount of jobs, it's harder for them to be able to participate and get out there and spread the word or donate to organizations or volunteer. So I think those who are more well off should definitely get more involved and if they have the means to do so, donate where they can. Yeah, and going off that, do you think there is something about money that just makes it inherently easier for them financially stable to advocate? Oh, absolutely, yes. And I think there's two sides to this, too. And we can look at it on a physical money type of um, spectrum where people, like I said, can go out and they can donate. They can, you know, purchase supplies or 
um, create websites, organizations, companies to um, to advocate for this type of change that we're wanting to see when they actually have the money to do so. And on a psychological side, I think we associate um, associate we associate people who are more well off with success. And I think success inherently. Um, demands respect in a way and I don't know if demand is the right word but you oftentimes see successful people gaining more respect from others and I think that this puts them at a better position to advocate for change because they have more people willing to listen to, to listen to them yeah I totally agree with the, every statement you just said um so, if you guys didn't know, me and Sierra actually play softball together. So, Sierra, um, as a student athlete, do you believe that athletics um, divide people or do they bring them together? And in with and within your sports, um, do you see m- racial inequality? Um, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, to start off, I absolutely think that sports bring people together. Um, I think... A lot of sports um, at all levels, we see a combination of all races and ethnicities because I think at the end of the day for athletes, people want to, you know, win, if that makes sense. We're competitive. Athletes are competitive. And I think at the end of the day, we want the best athletes, the best players who are going to be able to produce for our team. And I think that outweighs um, a lot of racial... um, a lot of racial um, differentiation, I guess we could say. Yeah. Um, I would, like, you don't, I bet, I think the best way to put it here is color doesn't matter, and I think it's the performance that most athletes look for. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. Um, for myself, um, playing club softball because we play together um it was very it was very noticeable that a lot of times there would not be a lot of african-american players or players of color when we played at a high level um do you think this is because if you agree with this statement i don't know if you do um do you think that's because of maybe sort of the money it costs to play um a club sport at that level um, you know, I, I'd have to agree with you on this one. Uh, I've had this conversation with my mom before because on my previous teams, um, <laughs> my, this might not be the right way to put it, but my, my mom and I always like to joke um, when I played softball and I was the only Hispanic on the team, we'd be like, oh, who's your daughter? And she'd be like, oh, she's the brown one. <laughs> and, you know, it's... <laughs> It's, it's pretty obvious when you're, like, one of the only people of color on a team. And I think I agree with you on this one. I mean, when you and I played softball together, it was just the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. It was just the two of us. And um, I think oftentimes it really does come down to the money, especially with club sports. Um, they are really expensive, and I, I don't think that a lot of people um, really know about this. Um 
club sports can cost up to thousands of dollars and it can cost families hundreds more to travel with their athletes to provide them food to buy equipment it's it's really not a cheap thing to do and a lot of times a lot of really great athletes have to miss out on this opportunity because their families just don't have the money to allow them to participate Yep, I totally agree with that statement. Um, so you also want to go into the medical field, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yep, so um, do you think there is also a form of implicit racism and bias in the medical community as well? Um, you know, I had to spend a lot of time thinking about this one, and I would say not inherently. I think that the majority of healthcare providers of all levels, I mean, nurses, doctors, health technicians, um, surgeons, on all level, I think that every single one of them would like to help every single person that they could. And you can see this majority, like the healthcare system is centered around a Hippocratic Oath, and which means you're supposed to help anyone no matter what is their background or anything. Um, and I think that the, the differentiation that we often see in people of color versus the white community often comes down to their socioeconomic status and the ability to afford healthcare insurance. And I think that this insurance factor is the most, um, is the biggest, I would say, scale tipper in this question. Um, as you know, most hospitals require insurance um, for people to be treated, and insurance can be really expensive and unattainable for people with low incomes. And unfortunately, here in the U.S., we see majority of our in our low-income families actually being people of color. So although I don't think the actual um, medical community is implicitly built with racism involved, I do think that the socioeconomics that play into it definitely affect people of color more than it does um, affluent white families in the U.S. I do. Honestly, that's a great answer. I totally agree with you. Um, so when you do become a physician, um, how would you try and address issues of inequality and lack of accessibility to health care by POC? You know, as I said before, I think insurance really is the big issue here. And I think that so many, because so many hospitals and um, healthcare clinics require you to have insurance, I think that it would be a really big deal to advocate for um, free clinics, whether that be volunteering my time to work in free clinics when I'm off or whether that be donating to free clinics to help them to help fund themselves because for those especially people of color who may not be able to afford insurance or may not be able to afford to go to um, a primary physician all the time a free clinic would be a really great opportunity and option for them and I think that we just don't have enough of those across the nation to be sufficient yeah, I love that answer. Speaking of change and just making things better in general, what are you doing in your community right now um, to incite change and push for social justice and equality? Um, for me personally, I think the biggest thing that I have been able to do is just start the conversation. I think education is always going to be the first step. It's 
the key and the foundation for growth and change. And when you're able to, I have been able to speak out on social media and have conversations with my peers and my family members. And I think starting that conversation and educating people around us is really important. Um, we always hear that phrase that ignorance is bliss. And I 100% agree with this. When you educate people and open their eyes to the social injustices that are going on in our country, you see people becoming extremely uncomfortable. And it's really hard to just go on about with your life and being that constant state of discomfort that education brings you, as as odd as that sounds, um, worldly education, I should say. And I think that that type of discomfort is really what plants the seed to, to want to change and grow. And I think that's the biggest thing that we can do as a community and as a country is to start the conversation, educate each other, and plant that seed for growth. Yeah, I agree. And um, I'm always reminded that people who have the opportunity to get to learn about racism rather than experience racism are so fortunate. And so um, that's why I think it's so important to just learn more, um, you know, to just not even to relate, but just to maybe understand. No, I totally agree. I think a big issue that we struggle with is just not knowing, not, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times, like I said, ignorance is bliss. And A large part of the community, even myself, you know, has never implicitly been affected by racism or social injustice, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And I think educating yourselves on the scenarios and the people who have been affected is really important so we can make sure that it doesn't continue to happen. Yeah. Um, So if you have the chance to speak to the president of our country and make one recommendation to him, one, I know that's hard. Um, what <laughs> recommendation would you make? Well, as you said, one recommendation, I don't think it would be enough. <laughs> um, but I will say, I think the, the most important thing, and I don't know, I really would like to put this in a nice way, but I don't think I can. I think he just needs to watch his mouth. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... Diplomacy is such a big thing when you're a leader of such a, I mean, any nation or any club, organization, small scale, large scale, it doesn't matter. Diplomacy is extremely important. And I think she is very rash and too quick to speak on situations. And um, I think oftentimes his words are cutting down and degrading people in this country and instead of using his diplomacy and his position of power to unify the people in this country oftentimes it's cause it's causing a huge rift between people and i think that this is a really big issue um you know just not being hmm, i don't know how to say this just like he's very he I think we can all agree that, you know, he's very quick to speak on everything. Yeah. And I I think that as a person in power, you need to really evaluate your situation as a whole. Nor You need to normalize dealing with people opposing your um, opinions, your thoughts, your actions. And you need to take the situation as a whole before you speak on it. Yeah. And I've always thought that 
Rhetoric is a powerful tool that can be used in so many ways. Um, And I think rhetoric has the potential and the capacity um, to make a nation feel a certain way. So I think exactly what you said is it's so important that we're shaping, especially young minds, um, with positive language. And yeah. (laughs) No, no, I totally agree. I think that um, especially because of how influential the media is today, um, I think that it's very important to watch what we're saying um and that goes for everyone to just watch what we're saying and i think it's very important to speak out with facts and i i think that is something that he has oftentimes maybe struggled with not necessarily um wanting to listen or take a whole situation as i said before for what it is and being very one-sided um and I think it's very important for our leaders of this country to realize that it doesn't matter your political affiliation, your race, your ethnicity, your gender. None of that should matter. We're all Americans and we should all be treated as such. And every single person's opinion is relevant. That is such a great answer. Um, And I think that's a great place to end our episode. Um, Do you have anything else to say? Um, I, I don't, I just want to applaud you for taking the stand and being such a great activist in our community. Um, you're always great to talk to. And I think what you're doing with this podcast is really great. Oh, thank you so much, Sierra. Um, so I'm Selena Arnalis and, uh, this is Sierra Segura and we'll see you on our next episode of ProCon. Con.